and welcome to Career Burnout, a different kind of gap year podcast. You're with Shan Swales, founder and creator. This month on a different kind of gap year, we have my friend and colleague, Davina Donovan, a psychologist who jumped at the chance to share her burnout story, and I'm so glad she did. There is such richness to be gained by listening to her story, but I think the most compelling and unique part of it is how she recovered from her burnout. She has been on quite a journey and I'll let her fill you in on the details. My hope, my wish for you, the listener, is that you get out as much as I did from hearing her mental health and work story. so much for coming on a career burnout a different kind of gap year thank you for having me I'm actually really excited to do this so am I you're actually I worked out today that you're the first psychologist other than myself to be a guest on this show so thank you so much representing appreciate it (laughs) um so I thought uh, to start with if you can give us a little bit about your mental health career like just a little snapshot Wow, a little snapshot. A little, yeah, hang on. I, I just thought of that with how many years that you've, you've been, yeah. So wherever you want to go. I actually applied for a job last week and the man who was interviewing me mm. multiple times said, you've got a very colourful, extensive resume. I was like, I do have a colourful, extensive resume. Um, look, in a nutshell, I've actually been working in the psychology industry mm. since I was 18, I was very fortunate that my first year of uni, I managed to get a gig that was at the Australian Institute for Suicide Research and Prevention, mm. working in research. And I'm still, I still work for them today. I still mm. contract as a senior researcher to them today. So technically mm. I've been in this space for 18 years, which is exactly half my life. Wow. Which is huge. Uh, but look, I've worked in prisons which was incredible Mm. such an amazing experience working in a prison Mm. Uh, I worked for Headspace both at a local Queensland level and also for Headspace National Mm -hmm. providing suicide prevention services around Queensland and I've worked as a private practitioner in a Headspace centre I was the team leader at a private practice working Mm -hmm. with children and adolescents uh, and then I branched out, which we're going to delve into a little bit more today, mm-hmm. uh, but I went through some stuff mm-hmm. uh, and then branched out into my own gig. And that was about a seven years ago or so mm. that I decided to do my own practice mm. after taking a bit of a hiatus from the industry. Yeah. Uh, and now today, yeah, I, I suppose I, I do consulting services and mm. a lot of education and training today and a lot of mm. supervision. Mm. 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 Thanks, Dav. Yeah, a colour, colourful, um, <laughs> colourful resume, Very as that colourful. person said. And I've been <laughs> lucky enough to hear a bit about your extensive experience as well, just through our chats, because we know know each other. As you said, there was that period. I can't remember how you just described it, but a hiatus or <laughs> hiatus. something. And that, as you said, we would talk to a bit more today. And I was just wondering, yeah, if you can take us back there and yeah, share what happened there for you. Yeah. Yeah, look, it was a long time coming. Mm. I reckon I can use the word today burnout and compassion mm. fatigue. Mm. But back then, I just felt stressed and overworked. That were my words, stressed mm. and overworked. And I remember the day quite clearly. I was due to fly to Melbourne to deliver a workshop. And I just didn't want to do it. I mm. just didn't care. I thought to myself, I don't, I don't believe in this. I don't want to endorse this workshop with a, with my boss at the time. Mm. And it had been weeks of squeezing clients in, you Mm. know, I went from having five clients a day to then having six to at one point having eight squeezing Mm. people in because they were in crisis. Mm. And I just stopped caring. I remember walking across the road to my car after work thinking, this is really weird. Mm. I don't care about these people. And I had all that whole internal dialogue of 
but you're supposed to, you're their psychologist. What's wrong with you? I had mm. this whole battle. Anyway, I spoke to a friend this particular day. I spoke to a friend mm. and she said to me, you have to quit. Mm. She was, she, no, 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 like it wasn't like a compassionate empathic talk. She's like, nah, you've mm. got to get out of here. This is wrecking you. This is against your values. It's detrimental. She was really quite assertive with me. Mm. And I really thank her for that because if she'd tried to do the mm. soft approach, I probably wouldn't have listened. And in that moment I went, yeah, you're right. This is too much. Mm. And then of course the classic guilt kicked in. I thought mm. I can't do this. I can't let my boss down, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But thankfully this beautiful friend said, this isn't about your boss. This is about you. Mm. Very wise words. And on the way home that night, I rang a few people. I never ring people for help. Yeah. I never used to mm-hmm. ring people for help. And I rang a couple of people. I rang my best friend. She didn't answer. Mm. Uh, I rang another friend. She didn't answer. Then I rang my supervisor at the time and they mm. didn't answer. And I remember driving home thinking how angry I was at them for not helping me. Mm. And then I was angry at myself for being angry at them. Oh. <laughs> this clap. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it got to the point where I just I, I dwelled on it all night, all this guilt kicked in and my friend's words keep ringing true and I went, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. So I rang my boss the next day. I said, I can't, I can't fly away and actually I'm, I handed my resignation. Yeah. And it was such a poor, it was such an amazing moment. I felt so yeah. much relief. And I was very, very, very fortunate that I'd sold a home not long before that, like, mm. thankfully. So I had some money in the bank mm. and I decided to go traveling. Mm. So I did a different kind of gap year. <laughs> Mind the plug. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And I, I took a year off work. Mm. It wasn't, I didn't do it thinking I need to take a year off. This was, you know what, I've got money and I just need to do something mm. different with my life. And this is a long story. I want to try and make a short version. Mm. Rewind a couple of months and I'd started doing my yoga teacher training. Mm. Just something different. Mm. And I'd met some people there who'd told me about an ashram in Bali. Mm. So when I quit my job, I thought, right, I'm going to go to this ashram. Mm. And that started my what beautifully has now become known as my eat pray love journey because mm. i did i went to this ashram and i did a very unique form of yoga which was my type of prayer mm. uh, i went lots of places but i went to india then i went to italy where i ate oh. and i learned how to eat without guilt which was incredible i didn't know italy was part of that experience. yes that's so cool i went yeah. to a cooking school in <gasps> in mola de bari Oh, and I learned to like cook Italian. <laughs> Italian food. And best of all, I learned to eat it. Oh. A lot of hang-ups with food, a lot of issues around eating. And I just ate oh. guilt-free. It was the most beautiful experience. Uh, and I ended my journey. I went to a lot of different places. I went to Paris. But I ended my journey in Canada on Valentine's Day oh. where I did a really beautiful deep heart meditation. And it was all oh. about love, hence oh. the eat, pray, love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I got back and I thought, you know what, I need to do my own thing. And I started my own practice right. and I've been working for myself ever mm. since that time. Yeah. Wow. Huge. Thank, thanks for yeah taking us through that in such a succinct way and such a huge time in, in your life. And I, I just want to go back because one of the things that there's so many Im- important points there along that journey, but one of the ones I just wanted to narrow in on was you were talking about that wave of, well, that's my word, but that the guilt that you experienced after your friend who almost like gave you permission or 100% gave me permission. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and when it quit was really direct and that really helped you to be able to allow that. Um, But then that wave of guilt that came with it. And I was just wondering because it seems like you were able to move through that or it didn't stop. And I was just wondering if you can talk to that a bit more maybe. Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's interesting, guilt for me in the acute episode of guilt Mm. is a helpful emotion. Like it tells me that I'm I'm caring and I'm kind Mm. and I think of others. True. But in that moment it was a guilt that was far too – it's easy to say this now because I can reflect back. It was a guilt that was well too much towards the other people in my life. Mm. Um, like a misplaced or well misplaced it was guilt because I was worrying about the impact my actions would have on other people and how much hurt and pain and suffering they Mm. would go through Mm. 
completely projecting away from my own hurt, pain and suffering. This was this was an unhealthy guilt. This yeah, was a guilt that was the um, yeah. that was at the complete detriment to myself. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it was a probably realistically a guilt that I'd probably had for a period of time mm-hmm. because I had that little voice saying, You should get out, you shouldn't be doing this, you should cut back, you oh. you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. But I didn't really listen to it because I felt guilty that if I did, I'd let mm. my clients down. I'd let the practice manager down and mm. she'd given me so many opportunities. So I was attaching my day-to-day work mm. very much to what other people, mm. the impact that me not being there. Yeah. Interestingly, again, I can say this with confidence now with my mm. experience, you know, almost a decade later, oh, not quite a decade, six or seven years later, mm. that, the, that that particular guilt was me thinking I was completely indispensable. Mm. Mm. That you they couldn't lose me because then their life would fall apart. It was completely, mm. I suppose, this irrational. Like I can't, my clients would fight, would fall apart without me and I can't do that to them and the poor practice manager. And in the end, me being in that way yeah. was not good for anybody. Mm. Like it was just I needed my friend and this is why I was so yeah. forever grateful to her for just I think for me she she reduced the shame and the stigma Mm. and she said she was a psych as well okay of course um and because she'd been she'd worked in the same practice and she knew some Mm. of the difficulties as well Mm. she really validated my experience Mm. and she really removed the shame and stigma by saying you know what it's okay I'm a psych Mm. too I felt this Mm. way before you need to take care of yourself because you're the most important person in all of this. And it was like, shit, so you're that, right. So that was another element of her support as well that she had, you knew that she'd been through um, similar, if not the same thing as well. So that added credibility to what she was saying. It sounds like there was some, yeah, of those external factors that were contributing to how you, the burnout as you came to recognize it as, yeah, so is it okay to talk a bit about that? Like, cause yeah, sometimes it's not just, well, it's not things that we're doing, but things that are happening on the outside mm-hmm. that are contributing to how we feel on the inside. Right. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like that was challenging your workspace. Yeah. Yeah. And look again, objectively mm. with a bit of a more of a clearer mind, it probably wasn't as bad as it was mm. externally. Mm. But there were some cultural factors. I think there's always cultural factors. Mm-hmm. And I do I do think our industry, and I say ours because we're both mm-hmm. psychs, mm-hmm. there is that. And I don't know whether it is the industry's fault. You, you can't see me <laughs> yeah, doing my, like... my air quotes because we're on a podcast. <laughs> um, air quote. I don't think it's the industry's fault. I think as individuals we put pressure on ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know that was the right thing for me that I put a lot of pressure a lot of self-perceived things that I should be doing. Mm. But I think the culture around it rewarded me for that. Mm. And that's for me probably why I continue to do it. I got promotions, doors opened. Mm. It was like, okay, you keep pushing, you keep striving, you Mm. keep running yourself into the ground and you're actually going to have doors open. Because yeah. that was my experience for a long time. Yeah. And then people often say, oh, you're such an amazing, you're such a high achiever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am. Mm. Today I, I try to shut that down because like, I find that that's actually not a helpful thing to yeah. say to me because it, it's, I'm not necessarily a high achiever. Mm. I, I like to do things. I like mm. to do things well, but I'm not this, if it doesn't work out perfectly, it doesn't mm. have to. It doesn't mm. matter. Back then, absolutely. Mm. It, it, you know, I was very much rewarded for being so young and doing such amazing things and yeah. it was very validating and very um, uh, my self-worth was yeah. very much attached to that. Yeah. And, again, I can say that now, but back then I had no idea. I was much younger and didn't realise yeah. that that was what was going on. Well, you were going through the experience that gave you the lesson or, the, yes. yeah, you know, that helped you, yeah, see things for what they were and, and why they came to the head. And, and you did, you've done the learning, you've done the growth from there. So that's oh, why so you grateful for the experience. Mm. You know, it's very easy to sit back and go, I wish that didn't happen, but no, mm. 
my goodness, mm. what valuable lessons. And honestly, if I hadn't taken that year off, I would not be where I am mm. today because the lessons I learned, the growth mm. I made was yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah, and I want to go into that a bit more, but I, I really hear, you know, some really interesting commonalities coming out in your story already in terms of those warning signs the don't care attitude that you were experiencing that was well I, I just got the sense of foreign you know because you were like hey what's this going on guilt expectations I know that's not a word you use but you were talking about for a long time they expected that internal pressure so mm. expectations achievement orientated I mean these are a bit of uh you know factors that contributed to to being burnt as you came to know burnt out but at the time stressed and overwhelmed is what you could identify which another kind of those signs and and that increasing workload you know which depletes your resources so just a lot of commonalities from the other stories that I've been witness to from other podcast episodes my own and just general you know we've met so many people in our field who will share a similar story as well but also what and I want to learn a little bit more about your experience here those things that actually helped helped I don't know if turn around is the right phrase but starting to turn things around like things like your friend who gave permission basically in how she responded to to you that day and those other uh there was other choices that you were making too, like the choice to go away, like the things that help support you to to change direction, to change, to, yeah, to to look, well, I don't know if you call it looking after yourself, but, well, yeah, to, yeah, what what were those things that supported you? I'm hearing it already. But, yeah, de- definitely, obviously, that, that friend. Mm. And I don't know if it was just the friend per se, but it was the permission part. Mm. You know, we don't, we, we shouldn't, air quotes again, we shouldn't need permission. But I, at the time, as a mental health professional, mm. I did, I needed someone's mm. permission who was a mental health professional as well. I think if my mum had given me permission, mm. it wouldn't have carried as much weight mm. because my mum is biased. But for another mental health professional to see it and say it's okay, mm. it broke down that barrier, that, that stigma mm. or self-stigma. So that definitely helped. And then the more I was able to then talk a bit more about it, the more mm. I realized that I wasn't alone. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was you know, still relatively young in that more private yeah. practice space. Yeah. How old were you? Um, if I, I yeah, yeah, I was 26. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Roughly Already 26. eight years into the industry yep. as well and studying, like combination of study and working in the field as well. Yep. We all know... I think most of us who are, who studied in the mental health field, I know for psychology anyway, that's intense itself. Um, and at a young age as well, like, you know, we're doing so much growing at that stage as well. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that, yeah, if, at that point in time, I thought as a mental health professional, mm. you're not supposed to be burnt out and no one mm. got it. There was something kind of unique and wrong with me. Mm. And when my friend said no, I was like, Wow. So other people experience this. And the more I talked about it, the more mm. I realized that I am not alone. Mm. And now fast forward, you know, after my journeys around a good chunk of years, mm. I've met so many people, mm. so many people. And I realize it's probably more of the commonality than I realized mm. before. That was a big turning point. Mm. Um and my timelines are a bit off, I apologise, because it just... Oh, no, you're going back quite a lot. And, and COVID's put a bit of a... Mm. I can't remember a lot of the timelines because of the COVID, COVID. spanner. Yeah. Um, what helped as well, I think, is actually taking time for personal development. I'd been conditioned a lot to really do professional development, learn mm. about my clients, how to be a better therapist, how to learn better techniques with CBT. Then I you know, mm. diversified a DBT and then act and a lot of professional development. Mm. And my beautiful supervisor, bless her, still my supervisor today, very much ingrained a sense of reflection in me. Mm. But what I probably didn't do well was actually stop and reflect on me outside of being a psych. Mm. Mm. My identity. And you asked me today, what do you do? I still say I'm a psychologist. Well, I'm not. I'm actually a person. Mm. 
who happens to also practice in the world of psychology. Mm. That's a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> that we shorten it for ease and I say I'm a psychologist. Uh, I'm not. I'm a person. Yeah. I'm a woman. Mm. I happen to be a psychologist mm. on the side over here. Yeah. But my identity was so attached to it. Mm. And I think because my no one in my family had been to university before, mm. it was this kind of special identity as well. Oh, that kind the golden of, yeah. child, like the only girl in the family. She's the only one been to uni. She's now in a professional career. It was this sense of living up to that yeah. expectation. I got you. So to stop and actually go, right, there's a there's a me that exists outside of the mm. profession and that journey overseas, no clients, no commitments. Mm. I slept a lot. I journ- yeah. journaled a lot I did a lot of yoga Mm. I did a lot of meditation I did a lot of reading Mm. I confronted a lot of shit yeah like being away from your family for a year was is challenging Mm. uh and to have the fear of financial pressure I'd never Mm. had such fear of financial pressure to confront that confront some of my food Mm. to open my heart up to receive love from a partner who ironically about three months after I did that, arrived in my life. Mm. Uh, it was a big, big, big self-development yeah. journey. It had zero to do with me being a professional. So that, for me, was the biggest game changer. Yeah. And probably the biggest, even though, and I completely admit it today, I'm not, I'm still working on my ability to take care of myself. It's mm. not something that I've, you know, perfected and, and do really mm. well. And I'm very honest in the, the days and weeks and as you know mm. months sometimes where it does go on the back burner yeah i think i'm more in tune with it now than ever before and mm. i recognize and acknowledge it better than before whereas yeah. before i didn't even realize what it was yeah that's the difference that that's the difference that's the lesson that you continue to carry on but dev can i like mm. so much i like using the word wisdom through that you know journey that experience that burnout to your recovery are just so many elements similar to Again, I can see the commonalities um, that help uh, support someone to to make that turnaround, to know that things aren't okay within their space of, of their work and their life in general and needing to or being forced to to take that rest. Like the things like that that uh, other psychologists, you know, who was a trusted friend as well, who, who gave, um, you know, permission as such, which you know, was, was powerful in itself, but there was other things there too, where my mind is actually drawing blank, but that, that you mentioned there that really helped like taking that time off, doing the inner work, that inner work and yeah, time away to, 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 do, to that. do that. And that, yes, the most important thing I think that you're saying there is that, yeah, as psychologists, we do that professional development. Sometimes we might, you know, depending on the supervisor that we have, and it sounds like you had one like this and so did I, who focused on that personal development, but it was still within work and there was stuff that came to fruition for me that was like whole self stuff that I needed to work on and, and um, work through. But you did that work, you know, you went away and you did that work and that's not easy. I just think of the word courage with that. Not, none, of, none of that is easy. But that inner work that you chose to use that time uh, or, you know, I know you didn't have like a plan like how long, but you, you went away and you did that work. You confronted a lot of stuff and the better for it. Um, but yeah. like, Jesus, <laughs> well done, <No>. you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And it, was, it really nice. was. It really was a little mini eat, pray, love. Like I spent time. Mini. Like, I mean, well, I just think in terms of what you, I mean, I obviously don't know details, details, but like whenever someone said to me that they've confronted a lot of, you know, I got inner demons in my head for a reason, for, for some reason, but you know, the, the, the stuff that we normally might be pushing under and just like not touching that or not aware of it and to actually work on that, it makes that eat, pray, love so much more deeper and intense, mm-hmm. but growth orientated too so i just i think not little huge 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 uh i mean little is in like i think the book she took did she take a long like years i don't know i can't even remember i i watched the movie once i did enjoy it i liked it um your own your own experience of eat pay love is far more yeah interesting it, exactly the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think that the enough. the thing was also and you touched on it is it, it wasn't just self-development it, and I was very fortunate to be able to have self-development away from 
mm. my comforts. So yeah. it was like self-development on steroids. Mm. You know, I was in India in, you know, yeah. up in Rishikesh in some of the caves with some of the ancient yogis. No one would speak English, just sitting there meditating for hours at a time. Well, that's confronting. Hell yeah. And then, and then to go to, yeah, and to see the, I suppose, the extreme poverty of India, but then to go mm. to Italy and then have this mm. complete polar opposite. But I did a lot of spiritual growth in that mm. space too. And that was helpful for me. Mm. So helpful because I'd always been this very, uh, I'm a right-brained, mm. you know, this air off with the fairies half the time. But I used to be so much more left-brained, analytical, structured, Mm. organized, all that kind of stuff. And typical type A kind of personality. Very type A, very, very type A personality. Uh, And the point I'm trying to make is that I always saw this kind of three-dimensional world as it was and this is all that existed. Mm. But then when I opened up my world to, I suppose, bigger things than just work, yeah. bigger things than just Australia, bigger things than just me, mm. it was sort of made that compassion fatigue, that burnout, that job that caused all of that, mm. just like, what? wow, you're right. What was the point of putting myself through that? There's so much more to life. Mm. So I was very, very privileged. And I, I don't know if I could have done the same or had the same outcome or journey if I hadn't have gone to you know, these other places mm. and taken myself out of my comforts and my life and my supports mm. and really confronted that stuff. Maybe it would have taken me a lot longer. Mm. Uh, maybe it's the condensed version of it, but realizing there's so much more to life yeah. than just what I thought existed. It's like you, your world, yeah, your world grew. Those choices that Massively. you made to, to take yourself over to those places really broaden your, your world that, that helped put things into perspective in Massively. terms of work, which helped shift that, that whole high achiever type A kind of person who would have, what we know contributes to, <laughs> makes us susceptible to burnout. <laughs> There's so many elements of your story and I'm like thinking here going, have I picked up on all of them because there's such richness and, and I was uh, really particularly uh, liked and uh, liked wanted to have you on the show because unlike the epi- the episodes that we've had already in the people um, like there's a quite recent experiences some on you know on their road to recovery some still in in you know in that journey somewhere in the cute or kind of acute phases really eager to have you because yeah it was like seven seven years ago now and that you're you're you know, have learnt so much in in that time, and like you said, still learning and things like that. But but there's so much um, wealth there. And you said you came back. One of the things that after that eat, pray, love, you you came back and made a choice there with work. Do you mind, yeah, telling mm. us a little bit about that? Because um, that's probably the other big change, mm. game changing change. That I suppose if I didn't have money and I didn't travel. Mm this would have been the next obvious step for me because I I think some of my burnout also came from a little bit of a clash of values on what I suppose should or shouldn't be done in the world of psychology in the private practice setting. You know, I really wanted to do things a certain way, Mm. but the practice I was at or the government facilities I'd worked for, didn't have that wriggle room because of funding or because of Medicare restraints, all that kind of stuff. So my decision to do my own thing, it Mm. actually was bred out of, I went to Vipassana. I don't know if you've heard of Vipassana. So it's a Buddhist meditation technique. Mm. So they do it up at Sunshine Coast. It's 10 days of meditation, Mm -hmm. silent for 10 days. Mm. And you meditate for 10 hours a day. Mm. It's intense. Mm. Uh, self-reflection, self-healing on st- absolute steroids, mm-hmm. more, I don't know, what's bigger than steroids? Mm. That is Absolutely. what Vipassana mm. is. It is. It speeds up the healing process majorly. Um, but I really, I don't want to just say too much about Vipassana in case any of your listeners go to it because you need to experience it for yourself, but mm. it is literally pulling away layers of yourself. Sure. And what was left was you can't You keep doing what you're doing. You've got to create your own path. Okay. And 
so after I got back, I decided to open up. It was actually a yoga studio and mm. psychology practice because they were my passions. Wow. So I started teaching yoga just in a little private home studio where I had a home-based psychology mm. practice as well. And I didn't break rules. Gosh, mm. no, I was still confined by Medicare and all those things, of mm. course, but I could determine how many clients I put into my diary. Mm. Mm-hmm. I could also do a level of screening of clients that I felt competent and mm. I suppose ethically able to work with mm-hmm. rather than just having whatever kind of present itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to choose whether I did insurance clients or ATAPS clients or bulk billing. Like I made, like I had that choice. Yeah. Control. Yeah. And not in a, not in a, yeah, yeah. but not in a, Oh my God, I'm anxious control in a, you know what? I, 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 mm. I don't want to let myself get to a place where I'm potentially causing harm to me and even worse harm to the people I'm trying to support. Mm. So I needed to put some confines around it. Mm. And, and then, then yeah. from there, it grew, grew from there that I, I, the, the one-on-one therapy aspect started to be replaced then by more macro level. Mm. Uh, I started to do more education training. Mm. I started to be involved in policy making and development. Mm. And the consulting aspect of that practice started to come out because that mm. was where I felt super confident and competent. And I realized that I couldn't keep doing that one-on-one stuff. Mm. Mm. And it was a like it was a, a confronting difficult decision because I felt that little teeny bit of guilt that I was letting people down by not seeing one-on-one clients. But I realized the impact I can have on people's lives by actually sitting a bit more at that macro level. Mm. So that was the, yeah, the the, the choice to that you couldn't do one-on-one anymore was more due to the impact that you could have by doing the other roles that you could help influence and help um, support people's mental health absolutely yeah, a lot more effectively from that angle yeah as well as it sounds like to support yourself too in, in terms of your whole being you know doing something that you value that you get a lot out of but also be able to <laughs> put some boundaries around too it sounds like that's what you're talking about there too before that that's what made a difference in your work life choices when you came back from that eat pray love year that if I can keep calling it that because I love that name. <laughs> um, yeah yeah, that that's that's what made a difference. And you and I have talked about. I know we've talked about boundaries a lot, but how that is a big part of it. And depending on where people work in our industry, but yes, I know each practice does does differ in private practice. But there are some, you know, there are um, times where yeah, we're taking on too much, or being encouraged to take on too much, or or maybe unbeknownst to anyone you know we're just putting that own pressure on ourselves as well and and taking people beyond probably our scope of practice as well um so yeah but you've yeah learned all that and, and was able to apply that in your new role and got to learn what you really valued and what was really important to you and yeah uh, I found a, a, a new joy in working in the industry I think mm-hmm. when I left to go away mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd ever go back okay yeah okay but I've come back to it in a, in a different space mm. with a different purpose and it aligns so much better with my values. Mm. And, yeah, today, and we've talked a lot about this, I still experience feelings of I would call it burnout, but it's mm. a different burnout. No. I don't feel the compassion fatigue Mm. kind of mixture of burnout they tend to go hand in hand when I'm thinking about the industry I work in and how I can feel burnt out by the people that I'm trying to support which is what I experienced before my burnout now comes from running businesses and being tired (laughs) Uh, but it's it's a it's a different it's a different kind of a feeling it's a different kind of burnout one I find is more around questioning my value and my place and what am I doing. The other one's going, well, I I know what I'm doing and I've got a purpose and the hard work's got to keep going because there's a goal and an end point. Uh uh Whereas pre-Eat, Play, Love, it was this sense of responsibility on my shoulders for looking after someone else's well-being and mental Mm. health and that 
that sense of responsibility for that person mm. and you know the fear of are they going to be okay that sort of stuff was was what i think impacted me the most as a professional in that mm. space whereas now with my boundaries in place i don't have that sensation and feeling mm. anymore that's that's what but i'm up. tired and run down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a very different thing it's yeah. it's, hard, it's really hard to articulate but i think you're doing a good job though i mean i can i suppose because i've experienced the 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 one the former the, the emotion i always think of that's a good way emotion but but compassion fatigue too i see that crossover between the emotional exhaustion aspect of career burnout i can't think of the other two because the emotional exhaustion is the one most commonly found in health professionals anyway particularly actually there's research on psychologists and emotional exhaustion being high but that yeah and then there's different type of burnout like still uh, burnout symptoms still burnout but a different kind and you're experiencing it and i haven't experienced that one where yeah like it almost sounds like a, a resource load or not enough resources to meet the demand and so that kind of burnout experience which would yeah but it's also different i think when you own and run your own business Mm. because there is a very clear goal Mm. and end point Mm. i don't think i this is the work i do now is not sustainable for the rest of life Mm. Mm. i know very well that there is an end point on the 31st December when it's all going to change and it's all going to be different and it's going to be so much more manageable. Mm. It's sometimes, and I've talked to clients and I've talked to supervisees about this concept Mm. that in a really counterintuitive way, pushing yourself in the short term is a form of self-care in a really strange way, Mm. but sometimes not, not doing things, avoiding things, letting things build up can create more overwhelm. Sometimes you just got to do it. And that acute stress is often more manageable than the chronic ongoing stress. For me, I visualize this as a mountain and I'm quite literally almost at the top of it. I can feel Mm, it. mm. And my partner and I have talked extensively about it. That's a very different feeling to going, Mm. I don't even know if I'm on a mountain. I don't know what country this mountain is in. I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm feeling really stressed and overwhelmed. And, and, and can't see an end point. There's no end no. to this mountain. It's one of those tabletop no. ones that go forever. <laughs> and there's yeah. clouds above there. Yeah, that and I'm, the, yeah, you I'm, haven't even It's tried. very, very gotcha. – um, so that that is almost my yeah. visual way of going, I know I'm at the top of the mountain yes. and it's my business. It's my, my journey. I own it. Whereas pre-Eat, Pray, Love, it was emotional. Yeah, it was this sense of fear, mm. responsibility, angst anxiety mm. that was attached to the emotional mm. emotionalness okay. of the job of being yeah. a therapist yeah someone. and i think you used the word or you did use the word chronic ongoing and it makes me think of our current situation with the pandemic you know that particularly in the other states when new south wales and victoria particularly like that there's no reprieve at the moment for a lot of the mental health professionals in, in those states as well as Queensland, even though things ha- haven't hit us as hard, people are accessing, wait lists are high. And so that chronic, you know, the chronic nature of that workload and if, if that's what they're sitting with as well, fear, angst, response, sense of responsibility or over-responsibility and all that, that's... Yeah, going to, going to be really, really tough. So yeah, yeah. and I've got mm. beautiful friends and colleagues in the mm. industry who do feel the pressure. Yeah, uh, I don't know how widely it's talked about, but I know in my circles, mm. it is this sense of, you know, there's so many wait lists, and mm. there's a sense that you need to fit more people in. And in my head, I'm going, don't do that. Alarm that's what bell. I did, <laughs> and that's how I kind of got myself burnt yeah. out. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. We, I, I do crisis work for an EAP mm. at the moment. It's just a short term yeah. gig. It will come to an end. Uh, and a lot of calls from interstate and without naming the company, of course, there's a few helplines out there that mm. I do take mm. calls from. Oh. And it's the same, same story. Mm. You know, the, a person calls and this help helping professional feels really unsure of what to do, how to support them because mm. they have to get off the phone because they know there's another call coming yeah. and they can see the line of calls and it's a sense of overwhelm and a sense of, well, I have to get through all these people, but I want to give them a bit more of my time and support 
but there's so many of them. Yeah. And then so they're seeking help beautifully, which is a lovely thing to do is they're seeking their own help to go, well, how do I, how do I manage this? I can't, yeah. it's too much for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, I think that's the secret life of a kind of mental health professional is mm. we do experience our own angst and our own troubles, yeah. but we're not, we're not seen mm. as that. We're almost seen as having an armor and being immune to well, it. You mentioned that in your own story that, uh, the you prior to eat, pray, love, uh, she assumed as I think most of us mental health professionals, we know in the psych world, definitely that, okay, you're a psychologist, you should have it all together. You shouldn't feel or be burnt out or, or stressed out or overwhelmed. You have the tools. I know that was going through my head, which then, well, fed into my, um, well, pushing and not listening to my inner voice either. And, and yet yeah, not taking care of that or listening to that voice and doing what was needed to take care of that. But you, but that's unwritten expectation, unwritten or definitely not a uh, an unhelpful belief anyway around the profession because, no, we are a person behind like any other person out there and that this kind of load that our colleagues are currently under and that just in general with the industry would be under has an impact on us because we are people, we're human. We might be humans with some tools and knowledge that maybe other people don't have on taking care of the mental health. But when you don't actually have the time, which is one of our precious resources to take care of that, which if your job demands are high and your, uh, the pressures are there and wanting to do your best, yeah, you, you don't take that time because those things actually require time. <laughs> to Absolutely. Do. And mm. the time that you do have is spent helping other people or worrying about helping other people. Or worrying about helping worrying, other people and yeah, being worried I'm about them. <laughs> but I also, I think there's a little bit, and there's an article sorry, mm. article that I read uh, from a psychologist in the UK mm. right when the pandemic was at its ripest back kind of uh, April, May last year, mm. uh, which really struck a chord with me because I think unintentionally as an industry we've had allowed that stigma hmm. as a kind of way of protecting the community because the mm. last thing I want to do is go out to the world and say, I'm struggling, mm. what about me? I'm a psychologist, help me. Mm. I don't want any of my clients ever to feel like mm. their stuff, their trauma, their breakdowns, you know, their, their grief mm. has done that to me in any way. Mm. So I, I kind of started to wonder, well, have we – unconsciously I suppose done this as a way to protect the community yeah I see yeah and I also don't want ever a person to come to me thinking oh am I going to upset my therapist unintentionally are they fragile because I don't want to put that burden on the the people who are seeking the help Mm. so no it was an interesting it was a really really well written article Mm. from a UK Mm. psychologist who was talking about the real struggles that Mm. the mental health professionals over there were having Mm. and this was when yeah, we were in a lockdown here in Queensland, but they were going through it much mm. tougher. Yeah, I remember. And there were stories of therapists doing uh, sessions in their cars mm. and having to homeschool. and all. I mean, the same stuff, I suppose, that Melbourne and Sydney have been going through mm. recently. But it was just really beautifully written and I wondered that whether we've allowed that to be the case as a form of protecting the community. Yeah. It sends that message that you have to always be okay yeah but it's okay not to be so you're right and i've got it tattooed on me actually the word balance it's I did not know. yeah that says balance oh, in, yeah, yeah. in sanskrit yeah, which is sanskrit. yoga yoga text yeah uh because i'm forever in the search of balance yeah. and it's on my left hand because i'm right hand dominant so it's about balancing out oh, that's my two cool. sides of my body and my masculine and my feminine uh but that. this you know evasive search for balance, balance. i don't know if i'll Mm. industry's got it yet and look if we've got anything to do with it i would love if you gave me the opportunity i'd stand out in public and scream it and yeah. say we need, you know we need to acknowledge the fact that everyone no matter who you are it, it's it's irrelevant who you are what your background is what your profession is we all hurt sometimes and it's okay mm. and it's if as sooner society can actually acknowledge and realize that i think we'd be so much better off yeah and it could really like I, i've Thinking about your own experience, there you know there was individual factors, things that came from within that was contributing, but then some you know on the ground dynamics in terms of the workplace you're at, not fitting the values and and things 
you um, were contributing as well. But then that systemic, the industry itself and what it might be unintentionally promoting, you know, and, and how things need to change on that level as well to help support the individual psychologist or social worker, whoever, you know, who is potentially at risk or if not suffering already from burnout, compassion fatigue, as we've talked about today. I mean, vicarious trauma and, you know, multitude of other conditions that people are susceptible to in these industries. So, yeah, so many, I just, I think it's so important to note that there's so many factors outside of us that is influencing because we tend to look at like what am I doing wrong or what what have I done to cause my ill health or whatever it might be. But there's so yeah. many things and you're talking about industry. There is some things that need to change. Well, this is part of doing this stuff as well. <laughs> like let's talk. And, and, the, and the, I know I'm going back to your experience, but that was another thing that helped support your recovery as well. You started talking, you know, you spoke about it and you back then weren't someone who'd reach out for help, but talking about it helped to take away the shame and also contributed to being able to get help from others as well that helped you be able to do all that inner work and that healing work that got you where you are today and keep and keep on doing that. The more we talk about our own experiences and the experiences of our co-workers, you know, maybe change can happen not just on the individual level but the wider mm. yeah well I think the biggest change you can do within yourself mm. flows onto the people around you yeah. which is sort of what we're advocating like mm. in the in the industry but we can't change the industry unless we start with ourselves is kind True. of my philosophy as well but no I like what you said about the internal external factors and yeah. the psych in me can't help but think about <laughs> locus of control. Like, I, yeah. Straight away, I'm like, locus of control. We have, yeah. yeah, you have to acknowledge because mm. I don't think there's ever, we can't walk away and go, I blame the industry. No. It's its fault. No. But it's also not healthy to go, it's all my fault. There's something wrong. No. So that beautiful balance of, well, what, balance how can I reflect and go, well, what have I done? No. But also what factors have helped contribute to this and no. where can I make the most change? That's yeah. that circle of influence stuff. Yeah. Is I'm yeah. not necessarily going to start by challenging, you know, APRA or the APS mm. because that might be too far out of my control. But what I can control right now is whether I take a step back or whether mm. I sleep or whether I say no, yeah. you know, those things. And then once you get a little bit more control and not in the unhealthy way, but the good, good, healthy control over mm. yourself, then you can start to look out and go, well, where else can I now make a bit more of influence? Yeah. And I feel like I'm getting to that point now where I'm, a bit more well-versed to start to challenge a bit more outside of me because mm. I've done a lot of work mm. inside, work in progress. I see a psychologist myself, always have, yeah. uh, and I definitely want to get back more into my yoga training. Like I meditate mm. every day, which is a very, very helpful part of my practice. Mm. So a lot of work being done. I think it's almost time for me to start pushing the boundaries yeah. outside and start to question uh, a little bit more about some of the systemic stuff that can yeah. happen. I feel, I feel like that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. No, cool. Is there anything in in everything that we've discussed today, you know, because I feel like we've gotten a, a lot out of your story, but is there anything that we've missed, you know, that that you feel is is helpful to speak about today for you, for the people who will be listening? I don't know if this is relevant, but I, I, I still obviously practice as a psychologist mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit less than before. Mm. I have other things and other adventures, we could call them. Okay, yeah. uh, Which really, I think, balances my life out even more. Mm. You know, yes, I am, when people ask me, I'm a psychologist. Mm. But I'm also a gym owner Mm. and a cafe owner Mm. and, you know, a yoga teacher and an author and... Mm a speaker and a consultant and a sister and all these things. Like yeah, I could yeah. go on for days with the, the roles and hats I wear, mm. which can sometimes seem a bit chaotic and confusing because there's so many different hats. But I, I think sometimes diversifying it mm. for me has been really helpful. And I'm a lot of the things I do, especially as a gym owner, mm. it's definitely not the mental health world, mm. but I can see the impact I have on people's mental health in a positive way mm. without being a therapist. And that's nice. I think that really finding something that is rewarding Mm. and that is impactful 
but isn't taking that emotional toll like Mm. it used to, this is where I'm getting a bit more balance back. And that's been a really big helpful thing for me. That's so important what you shared there. And I was thinking the word balance the whole time was just like in in my voice, in my head, just go balance, balance, Uh, because it just sounded like that for you by diversifying and and all those hats, as you said, could you know sound chaotic to some. What it gives you is enough diversification that you get a good sense of balance in your life. And you feel these are all things that are connected to your value systems as well. So getting that reward at, and looking after yourself in the meantime, because it doesn't take as much emotional energy as what you did in the past. There's so many things that I, I didn't, I never... I never necessarily expect it when I sit down and do one of these interviews um, with my guests to, I'm not going in and thinking, I'm going to learn so much out of this. I'm thinking kind of producer, just like, you know, wanting to get this story out, wanting uh, the person, the guest to, you know, feel comfortable in doing so. But I'm just sitting here going, I've gotten so much out of this. And, like, and things I didn't know because I've heard parts of your story because we are friends and colleagues and, and I've heard parts of the story, but I've heard parts about the story I hadn't heard before. And, and I've, yeah, learned so, so much. And one thing keeps sitting in my head for some reason, it's just a little part, but not the big messages, but you journaled as well. Cause it makes me think, cause I, I, I'm journaling and I wasn't a journaler before. Do you know why I started journaling? Or I was just, I wanted to go, I don't know why <laughs> I wanted to go back to it. Just stuck in my head. Like she journals as well. Well, she journaled. Don't know if she still journals, but yeah, yeah. I don't do as much anymore. Yeah. It's it's something that always happens when I go away. So I'm going oh. away this week. I'm having a week away, completely by myself. I'm leaving my partner at home. I'm going away. Okay. I, I will journal while I'm there. It's always something that I do as oh. this very private oh. uh, recentering technique for me. Oh, kind of brings me back it gets all the important stuff out when I've got the space and time to do it Mm. but I started journaling because as a psychologist I would always recommend (laughs) yeah always you should journal it's really good you know do it. It's great. <laughs> Never once touched a freaking journal in my life. I'm putting life. my hand up too. I'm like, <laughs> I did recommend it here and there like um, as a technique. Had I journaled? No. No. I thought, you know what? You're a hypocrite. You should probably <laughs> try this. And look, it's a common practice in kind of that spiritual world. Oh, okay. It's a big thing yeah. to kind of get your thoughts out. Okay. Uh, so I started doing it, doing my yoga teacher training. Yeah. I was like, wow, this actually works. So then when I went back to practicing telling clients to use it it was really genuine i'm like yeah i really recommend this it's like re- it was way it was so much more authenticity to that recommendation than just this tokenistic you should go and journal yeah because that's why i started yeah. yeah and i, I often said- pra- i often say that in you know appropriate self-disclosure oh. with clients uh and particularly when i deliver education and training you know i I delivered things to parents and I go to mm. corporate places. I do lots of different kind of education and training. And I tend to, unless it's the company I contract for and deliver mm. their content, when I'm doing it as a private consultant, I'm always developing the training mm. from scratch. And the very first thing I always say is everything I'm about to tell you has come from my clients telling me that, that they've used it and it's worked. Mm. Or that's something that I've done and it's worked. Mm. I'm not going to sit here and tell you something that I read in a textbook that Mm. may or may not be helpful to you. I'm going to give you some actual Mm. clinical experiences and things that I've tried and tested as well. And it's nice. You see the audience go, okay, Mm. rather than I'm just going to quote some textbook that someone wrote. And that's always been my practice from now on is that actually I'm never, ever going to suggest something Mm. that hasn't, you know, we talk about evidence base. Mm. There's evidence base in a textbook through mm. a randomized control trial. That's evidence. Mm. There's also what's actually tried and tested with the humans mm. that you've worked with. Mm. For me, that's that's my evidence base, and I really like mm. drawing upon that. Yeah. And journaling is now <laughs> one of them. Is there anything just to, I suppose, finishing on the. I suppose the takeaway message for you, or just imparting words <laughs> of wisdom that you have with yeah with what you've been through with your health and work like you have to stop and go you know what I am struggling Mm. I am tired I am sad I am worried I am 
you know, f- having an inability to care, whatever it is, yeah. whatever you say, I think it's so important to just acknowledge that within yourself and be truthful and honest with yourself. Mm. That then allows you to then tell that truth to someone else. That is true. And honestly, and anyone listening, I know it's scary, the idea of telling someone because the biggest thing we fear mm. as a species is the judgment of another person. Mm. Uh, humans, we hate that. But if yeah. you can find someone, and whether it's someone you've interviewed before or mm. someone who's openly already talked about it, go to one of those people first yeah. because you know they're going to validate it mm-hmm. and they, you know they're going to understand it. Mm. And that will show you that it's safe. And then hopefully that can open up you know, more pathways of opportunity for you yeah. to speak. But that would be my biggest bit of wisdom is you have to, you have to stop and acknowledge it within yourself before any real change outside that, can happen. That is so true. Thanks for that, Dave, because, yeah, admitting that you're not okay, whatever those words are, you know, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I don't care anymore, those kind of things. You've you got to admit it. It makes me think of the uh, AA step. I think it's step one in AA, alcoholism. But it's tr- I've never been, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I haven't been. I've been to El, El Non. Um, I think they call it El Non. It's where they're supporting um, family members. Yeah, it's a, it's a great um, service that that is there for family members of. Yeah. But anyway, the first step is to admit, is to acknowledge, and admit. It, to acknowledge, and yeah. I think that goes for any struggles that we're having, whether it's with substance abuse or anything else. Is we got to admit that we're not okay, and that oh, we may not be feeling this at the time or believing this at the time, but it's okay to not to be okay, and uh, before we can actually say that out loud or if someone has been saying that to us until we actually acknowledge that is a reality within us then we're not going to really allow that help in that was my experience anyway that someone saw that I wasn't okay and was saying that in so many words but I didn't hear till I admitted that Um, but finding I know you didn't use this word but finding a safe enough person because that that fear is real the fear of judgment you know and that's what stops us from sharing our story and none of us can say no one's ever going to judge you but majority of people I don't think I've had anyone judge me have had various levels of support including silence in reaction but no judgment outwardly at me anyway which unless it's said outwardly I'm like it's not there (laughs) but yeah that's a big big barrier so but finding someone you feel safe yeah that's just a word that safe enough with whether that be a supervisor, a colleague, sometimes it can be a stranger as well, mm. your therapist, and go and see a psych. They, um... I think this digital age helps too because you don't have to see the person. I yeah. Find, someone yeah. said to me the other day, it must be really hard doing you know, telephone counselling. I said, you know what? Mm. I actually think it's helping people more because you're getting past that person looking at you and that mm. feedback you get and it's just mm. it's even more anonymous Mm. which for some people is even safer. Yeah, actually, yeah, for some people the telephone is better. I, I worked in telephone counselling for six years, I think it was. It doesn't, it's not for everybody, but same with face-to-face, but different mediums for different. It can just allow that person to open up more effectively over the phone. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Dad, for, mm. for agreeing and coming on and sharing your story. really appreciate it. I think there's so much to, to learn from your experience, and I'm really grateful that you did do this. So thank, thank you, you for having me and honestly we could quite literally talk <laughs> all yeah. day yeah you probably need to edit this a little bit and shorten it but yeah anytime you want to talk about any of this stuff well, we'll you have, know my number you just call me we'll have episode five part a part b <laughs> yeah. part c part d yeah because we could literally talk for hours and i want to it's almost mm. like I, I feel like let's go back here let's go back there but yeah i think it's yeah. got to come to a close at yeah, some point, some point. In time. anyway well Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to this month's episode of Career Burnout, A Different Kind of Gap Year. It gives me so much pleasure to be able to produce and deliver this podcast to you. I'm a great believer that sharing our vulnerabilities does help each other. So please don't keep this to yourself. Please share this. You may not think that there's somebody else out there who would appreciate it, but trust me, there is. So please don't keep it to yourself. 
and reach out, comment, like, uh, subscribe. Let me let me know um, what you think. Uh, and, and what maybe you'd like to see in the podcast in the future. I'm open to suggestions and I'm open to uh, any kind of feedback, of course. Please be respectful. That's all that I do ask when you are giving feedback. Uh, if you or someone you know has a mental health work story along the lines of career burnout, uh, compassion fatigue, please reach out. Uh, my email is a different kind of gap year at outlook.com. I'd love to hear from you and see if uh, being a future guest on the show uh, is something you'd like to do. But until next time, please take care of you.